0: Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic Pollster with
1: GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican Pollster with Echelon Insights.
0: And each week we bring you the polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. What is happening out there? Are we in a secure room? I feel Are very- we about to have people barge in?
1: Hopefully not. Uh, I feel very... But sometimes that happens, though, but... Sometimes people do barge into our studio... Not quite so many people. ...because they observe the on-air side. Yes. Um, so I have a present for you, but it's in Ooh. my car because I did not want to... <gasps> oh, is it the cart- Scorpion? It around. It is. Oh, uh, And yes. I have not... I was going to get a Sharpie, <laughs> and I was trying to figure out what to write on the top of the God. little plastic <laughs> container, like dead scorpion gut like what (laughs) like for my intended audience which is your delightful son yes who was so excited like I was
0: trying so to flashback Kristen found a scorpion in her luggage when she came home from Arizona thankfully it
1: was dead but I did hold it in my hands without realizing it which means I need to amputate my hand. Yes. But we'll get around to that later. At
0: dinner that evening, you know, try to like have a conversation that the kids find interesting. And usually when my husband and I talk about our conference calls that we had that that day, our kids get bored right so I was like hey I have a brilliant idea I have a brilliant story for everybody Kristen found a scorpion in her suitcase and everyone was so excited this was like the most interesting thing I had ever presented to my family at dinner they're like we've got questions where was she staying what hotel you know was it dead how did she know You know, <laughs> can I have it is she going to turn it into jewelry that was one of the questions like. as it
1: turns out these are all also the thoughts that went through my mind <laughs> the moment that I saw it as oh, I was God. letting swear words fly into the wind yes um, and then
0: uh, my son sometimes we print out coloring this is like a new thing now you don't need to like go out and buy a coloring book with whatever your topic de jour is you could just print out the whole world as your oyster you can print out coloring pages anywhere so you know so t- that night was like i need a scorpion i want a cute scorpion i want a mean scorpion i want a scorpion like eating other things. i was like okay there're not that many scorpion coloring pages and then i was like can i show this and i texted you the, the picture of like his colored in scorpion it and he was, was very du- pleased with it was with- wonderful <laughs> so
1: i i had the request for the remnants because i yes. my my husband chopped it into a few pieces to A, confirm it was dead. And B yeah, to confirm that there were guts inside of yeah. it. Because my dad had me freaked out that, oh, what if it's just the exoskeleton and the actual live scorpion is running around her house right now? Which Bold I, and I still think emboldened is with its
0: new possible. shiny <laughs> exoskeleton. Ready. It's a swamp skeleton. A swamp <laughs> scorpion now.
1: Uh so it's in a couple pieces, but I opened the container and they still appear to be fairly intact. Great. Although they also have a little bit of a smell to them. It doesn't matter. I just want to warn you about that. Everything not
0: like fresh, and it will then (laughs) fit in just fine with all the broken, smelly things in my house. But there's (laughs) it's got
1: claws.
0: (laughs) It'll be right at home. The scorpion will be like, finally, this is. I traveled across the country. (laughs) I have now exactly where I want to be. Final resting place. (laughs) Yes, and that's like. The bottom of some box of broken toys. <laughs> Amazing.
1: All right. Well, this week we learned a lot of interesting things. We may still have Joe Mentum. Some new polling in the Democratic primary has some pretty good news for Joe Biden. Um, Five thirty-eight is answering my prayers and letting me split out my impeachment trend lines. Removal versus inquiry. I know. We have... Trend lines that are different. I'm so excited. Bless you, 538 friends. Some new polling from PRRI on religion, as well as some new stuff from Pew on generation gaps in religion, as well as the generation gaps in what should parents be doing to financially support their kids. We'll dive into that, as well as some new Pew data on the fact that most political tweets are coming from people who are deeply invested in politics and are not, in fact, representative of anything at all. No way. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Mind-blowing. Breaking. Uh, This is breaking news. And finally, we will check in with our friends across the pond for a little bit of polling about which member of the British royal family do they think gets the worst press. Yeah. It will not surprise you, the answer to this poll. But we will discuss when we get there. So Democratic primary... So it's Wednesday. Um, The latest poll as of when we are recording that just popped, the CNN poll came out. Uh, And it was it made waves because the narrative of the last few weeks has been, oh, Biden's kind of been stagnant while Elizabeth Warren is surging. And when we taped our last show, I think in this national trend line, they were like kind of neck and neck. Right. CNN poll tells a very different story from the other polls that are out there now. Joe Biden at 34 percent, with Elizabeth Warren trailing somewhat significantly by uh, only at 19 points. And then Bernie Sanders at 16. So it's a very different story than, say, the Emerson poll, which has Biden 27, Sanders 25, Warren 21. But Emerson always has Sanders much higher. And bear in mind, their sample is that mechanical Turk. And IVR, which I did not. Yes. It's a combination. It's a combination. And they also always have Yang doing pretty well. Although in this poll, Emerson does not have Yang. Yeah, they have him at four points, which is higher than any of the other polls that are in there i don't know if is that one a a qualifying poll for the no it is not okay is monmouth a qualifying poll yes yes and uh what is the threshold for the next round of debates do you need to be two percent or is it three percent i ask because we now have yang getting two percent in monmouth's latest south carolina poll looking just quickly at some of these states Biden's still in the lead there, 33 percent. Warren improving her standing there now at 16 points in the Monmouth poll. Sanders at 12. Harris falling to six. Steyer at four. His ad blitz is giving him qualifying polls here and there. Mayor Pete only 3 percent in South Carolina. For all his strength in Iowa and New Hampshire, this appears to be a brick wall he is ready to hit. Um, but yeah, Yang. He's
0: qualified. Yang and Steyer have qualified. All right. Well, for the ne- for the November twentieth. Well, debate. Yang
1: Yang goes from I think zero percent to two percent in South Carolina. So, Yang Gang, here they come. Uh, and then last but not least, some polling in. Iowa the trend lines there I think was there any new polling is this stuff at USA Today Suffolk yes poll that came out
0: since last week so that came out Monday or Tuesday I believe and that
1: one it's just continuing to show that Biden and Warren very closely matched there. mayor Pete seeing a bit of an uptick he's sort he's of he's I mean he's on the air
0: I mean look that you know we yeah. have the national polls people I th- you know people are you know the national polls reflect what people perceive about the coverage um, and whatever reading or research they may be doing, the early state polls can reflect the television buys of candidates and Mayor Pete's on the air in Iowa. So, I mean, other other candidates are
1: on the air in Iowa, but Mayor Pete's invested in
0: Iowa. How so do I you think
1: remember. Tom Steyer's making the debate stage, folks? It's money on TV. Uh, So at any rate, just that's our check-in for the Democratic primary. Now checking in on the overall political environment. President Trump's job approval, taking a bit of a slide over the last week or so. He's now at 42 percent approve, 54 percent disapproved. Not quite in the right direction. Um, Must be the crimes. (laughs) <laughs> maybe it's all the crimes. Or it could be the Republicans not loving what's going on with Syria. Yes, there are lots of things that Quinnipiac,
0: could be. That Quinnipiac um, poll that came out, that didn't make it into the script, but it just came out today. So we have been trying, like this is something we were looking to see, and there hasn't been that much polling because there's not usually like tons of public polling about foreign policy. Occasionally there is. Um, it just does not, you know, remember public polling reflects what outlets are covering, so there's nothing, you know, hasn't been as much of that. But there was a Quinnipiac Poll that came out today that showed Republicans not, you know, as fully supportive of Trump mm-hmm. on Syria as as other things that we would see in a question. Other times where we would ask it a question, do you support Trump's X? And Republicans would say yes, whatever it is. So that one was a little bit lower. I have to go back and look. I think it's a majority, but not this very high, strong majority that you sometimes see. Um, but the question is very simple, and I don't mean that as a way to knock the question. It's just, you know these topics are complicated for folks to process. And so what does a simple question tell you versus one that would tell you more information? Would that change how R's or independents or D's would think about Trump and his foreign policy record? I don't know. That's,
1: you know, that's, I think, an open question. The, I guess, maybe bright spot in polling this week comes from a poll that Popped like an hour before we walked in here into the studio. Marquette Law did a Wisconsin poll um, and their head to head matchups Biden 50%, Trump 44, Sanders 48 to Trump 46, Warren 47 to Trump 46. Trump, 45, to Buttigieg, 43. So looking at Trump versus the current top four contenders on the Democratic side, the national polls tend to have Democrats up like 8 to 10 points over Trump. So this is a little bit closer. Um, And these state-based polls, on the one hand, are going to be more valuable for understanding what the Electoral College will mean. On the other hand, recall that in 2016, the national polls were pretty right, and it was the state polls that sort of led everybody to think – that Trump would have a much harder time assembling an electoral college victory. So look at these things all together. But if you're Trump, these are numbers that you'd rather be in the lead, for sure, being uh, an incumbent president hovering in the mid-40s mm-hmm. is not great. Mm-hmm. But these are also closer than you see in some of these national numbers. So perhaps that's perhaps that's a good sign, or perhaps that's just sort of what you would expect for a state like Wisconsin.
0: Yes. And did I see, I'm looking it up now, did we see Pence versus Biden head to heads this week oh I I did not look at those I feel like that may be something we see Pence versus Biden yes in Florida Biden and Warren both beat Trump and Pence in Florida so who
1: does better in Florida Trump or Pence um let's see here I bet you Trump has the higher raw numbers but I wonder if the margins are smaller
0: uh, Biden beats Trump by five points, 48 to 43. This is University of North Florida. Um, and then – hello. Like, OK. Pollsters also tested the top two against Pence. Biden wore him a beat Pence in a mock-up by even larger margins. Thirty-eight would pick Pence when up against Biden. Forty would pick Pence against Warren.
1: Yeah, see, that's uh, that doesn't surprise me because I would just assume fewer people have like a really strong opinion about Pence one way or the other. So you probably have some more undecideds as yeah. well as some folks who are just like they're not Republicans. Like right. they're Trump people. Right. And so if it's not Trump, they're free agents. They exist.
0: Right. They're, or they could
1: be some independents who, you know, lean Republican,
0: but aren't totally sure they know about Pence. So mm-hmm. they're just going to sit on the sidelines, not necessarily Trumpy, but they're be a little bit lower engagement and not have a clear sense of Pence. So anyway, the point, though, is not so much the divide on Pence. That's kind of not particularly useful at this moment, I think. But just as a monitor of what is being
1: asked, that is new, I think. So let's talk impeachment briefly. The New York, or 538, not the New York Times. (laughs) It was once part of the New York Times. It was a long time ago. It's been on a journey. Sorry. I'm just tired. There's news
0: from both Nates. Both Nates have new impeachment cool stuff.
1: Yes. Um, 538, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, has begun a tracker, much like how you have these trackers that follow presidential job approval, uh, ballot tests, even though... Polls ask things like job approval and ballot tests in slightly different ways. You can kind of aggregate them together to get an interesting picture of things. With impeachment, they tried that. But it's a little harder to do that because there's a big difference between asking someone, "Do you believe Trump should be removed from office?" and "Do you support Congress launching an inquiry into impeachment?" Right. Those are like very different right. things for Or some
0: impeach and remove, which is you know, and it, so there are all kinds of subtle differences in wording, and they have a little bit of a difference. I mean, we tested this in the mm-hmm. we asked it a couple of different ways, and Navigator that was released last week, and we saw like a couple point difference. It's not massive. It's not like there's. 30 percent difference between these two things it's small but it's worth if you're going to do it, a tracker what 538 had been doing before which was averaging if an outlet had a couple different questions they would average the different responses and so now they have a tab a toggle button of some sort so you can look at whether you're looking at um, inquiry or impeach and remove and Inquiry has majority support, 53.1. The remove has still has more support, has plurality, at 48.4, but it's lower. Again,
1: not massive, lower, but a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. And it, it's hard to tell from this chart. It looks as though the question of do you support or oppose beginning the impeachment process, that support for that has kind of leveled off. Where it's, it it spiked right around the beginning and then has sort of held firm, where support for remove from office doesn't look like it's increasing that much, but it's still right. like that line is not as flat. Let's put it that way. So that may be perhaps a little more in motion at this time, maybe. Um, there is some new polling, however, from other Nate. Yes. Nate Cohen, New York Times Upshot in partnership with Siena. They did some polling on impeachment in the battleground states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Florida, North Carolina, Wisconsin, and Arizona. Like an interesting selection of places. Is this – These are presidential, s- not Senate. Yeah. Well, so that I that's think. what I was fascinated by was the selection of these states because, I mean – Republicans think Michigan is a Senate battleground. They're ready to fight there. But then, like, Florida's not a Senate. Maine's not in it. You know, so it's not really the Senate list. No, Maine's
0: not. I mean, Arizona's
1: kind of an interesting inclusion, but. I don't, I don't hate it being in the list for sure, but right. anyhow, we don't need this to quibble is, this over that. Is, this is presidential in that Senate,
0: but yeah, you could, you could do Senate. That would also be interesting, but this is presidential. Yeah. So in this one, they, they say have... in the thing like we're looking at places where Trump won by less than five, like less than five percent, or by single digits, or something like that. Yeah.
1: Here, there is about a seven-point gap between inquiry into impeachment and impeach and remove, with fifty percent of those in these battleground states saying they support an inquiry. But only 43% say they support impeaching and removing, while 53% say they oppose. When you ask people how much are you following the news, if you are following impeachment very closely, Margie, I believe you once framed this as like, you were like straight into my veins. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm Huff, just, I'm so oh, huffy. That's huffing what it was. You're huffing paint. impeachment paint. Um, if you're huffing <laughs> impeachment paint, 94% Don't do it. say I they <laughs> support impeaching President Trump. I guess if you opposed impeachment, like that would be a really unpleasant thing to do, would be to just like mainstream or mainline anyhow. If you're following it somewhat closely, 80% say they support impeachment. If you say, I'm not really following it very closely, 71% say they support impeachment. And fifty-one percent of those who say I'm not really following it closely at all say they support impeachment. So the more in if you are in one of these battleground states, the more focused you are on this story, yeah, the more likely you are to say impeach him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, that sounds reasonable to me. Although mm-hmm. there are advocates for the and surrogates for the president who talk about impeachment plenty because they are out defending him. So, I mean, it is possible to get, you know, news about defending the president against impeachment inquiry. So,
1: um, but yes, this makes sense
0: to me because people who are, you know, engaged in it, you know, want to hear about it.
1: Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will dive into religion, millennials, Twitter, all sorts of things that are definitely not polarizing. <laughs> we'll be right back here on The Pollsters. All right, we're back. Our good friends at PRRI have some fresh data for us about people's religious views. Margie, you were fascinated by a chart that talks about people's views of Trump's personal conduct broken out by religion. Tell me a little bit about this.
0: So this is something that you see folks on the left talk about, which is— and I've had reporters ask these questions but you know PRI does such a, a good thorough comprehensive job of releasing a lot of breakouts by religiosity and religion in a way that you don't always get in some of the public outlets that don't have that level of detail and, and this is also kind of a topic that comes up a lot like, is there anything that trump could do to have you you know support him less or how do you feel about his behaviors do they make you support him more or support him less and it's hard sometimes to get i mean it's important to ask these questions at the same time it's hard to you know have in the abstract like is there anything he could do you know in the abstract like it's just a little bit too much of a hypothetical nonetheless people answer it and the differences here are interesting so overall of the people who disapprove of Trump most of those folks say there's nothing that he could do to have them win over have him win over their support um, but the same is true among the people who approve of him more people disapprove of Trump than approve in this survey this is overall and by about two to one the folks who approve of him say almost nothing he could do could cause them to lose support you know to support him less and you see that with, Evangelicals uh, who support him the most out of most of the different audiences here, but at least by religiosity, so of evangelicals, thirty-one um, percent say they approve of him, and almost nothing that he could do would cause them to lose support. And forty-four percent of them say they approve, but you know, there's something he could do. There's something he could do to cause them to lose, cause them to lose support because, you know, again, it's it's. Theoretical. At the same time, it's important as we're entering an election, as we have a conversation. You you see a lot of folks, you know, out and commentators say, "Well, it doesn't matter because it's all baked in the cake, and there's nothing that anybody could do." And you know, his base loves him, and when he does stuff that's, you know, mercurial, then they love him more for it. And that's not completely true. I mean, obviously, there's a group that that really supports him strongly, but there's also a group that says, "Well, there's you know, there's something that he could do that would make me lose support." Again, they have a similar question, how does Trump's personal conduct and uh, how does it make you feel about him And among evangelicals? 16% say it makes them more likely to support him. 36% say less likely. And then 47% say it does not make a difference. So it's another thing that I think is interesting and maybe a little bit at odds with what people sometimes think about evangelicals, where there's a sense that evangelicals will stand behind Trump no matter what, even if his behavior is at odds with the sort of purported Values and standards and things that evangelicals often say in sort of a political context. So you look at these numbers and is that consistent with that? At the same time, they are more supportive than other different religiosities.
1: But religiosity itself is somewhat on the decline. Um, so Pew has put out some fresh data on people's views. Uh, Identification with particular religious traditions, as well as their likelihood of going to church, Um, and they find that the decline of Christian identification continues in America. Interestingly, the chart they show. So this is something where they've asked every couple of years they go in with their religious landscape study, but in the interim years they also have their political studies where they're asking people for their religious views. Um, And to just sort of show you that, like you, these two studies, you may think it's apples and oranges, but actually they line up pretty well. They show you the data. From both studies. And like they do, I mean, there's the, the lines correlate with one another very strongly. Um, and it does show this, you know, going back to 2007, this pretty, you know, consistent decline in the percentage of American adults who identify as Christian. This is driven uh, in part by, you know, declining religious identification or Christian identification among. Younger Americans, which is not a new trend, but in their most recent study, they find that 84% of those in the silent generation and 76% of American baby boomers identify as Christian, while fewer than half of millennials do. The gap in identification by generation is pretty big. You have, you know, 27% more, 27 points higher of baby boomers IDing as Christian versus millennials. The difference in church going is smaller, where 49% of baby boomers say they go to church monthly or more, only 35% of millennials do the same. So millennials, less likely than older generations to go to church, but the gap's not as big as identifying as Christian in the first place.
0: Huh. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? Is it because millennials don't like labels?
1: Well, this is, I I give a speech about this an awful lot, where it's the, millennials are I have found in other data that they're just as likely to say they pray often or that they think of themselves as spiritual or people of faith. In my book, I made like a reference to a poll where millennials were the most likely to believe that Tim Tebow's success in football was like – because he prays like things like that. I found like what? I mean, it was a sketchy. Like, it was a sketchy you're poll. Like, this Let's poll was be, meant for me. This, this is- <laughs> I went hunting on the internet for data to confirm my thesis and by golly, I found it. The internet um, never disappoints. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is the the trend continues at pace. I feel like there's a there's a Ross Douth column somewhere in there about like the gap between millennials and boomers on church attendance is smaller than the gap on, like, which label you right. affix to yourself.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. You know, the PRI poll, it's not in the script, but they ask, like, which of the, all these words, how well do they describe you? And they have all kinds of things, and they're like spiritual, feminist, you know, environmentalist, humanist, All and spiritual came up high for, like, almost every group, no matter what their, no matter how religious or whatever their background, spiritual is high.
1: <laughs> Our good friends at the Babylon Bee highly reputable news source, uh, have have put together an article about the Pew Research Center's study of pews. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you, this is not a real poll. Oh, my God. I believe... Did you put this in there? No, did Ryan, Ryan did it. Yeah. He may... Uh, either he's trying to troll us or, like, catch us, like, are you actually paying attention to the things I, I, I put not, in the script? I did not. I was like, oh, This okay. is not a real poll, <laughs> Okay, but it is... It, am- it amuses me deeply. So this is from the Babylon Bee. A new Pew Research Center survey found that 100% of pews are uncomfortable. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, 30% of those surveyed said sitting on a pew is worse than sitting on a sidewalk naked. 5% said they blamed Pew for their extensive back problems. And 0% identified pews as comfortable. Um, even millennials who are declining in church attendance agree that pews are not very comfortable. Please visit Pew Research website to read the extensive 750-page report. <laughs> That's Thank funny. you, Beth B. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Again, that is definitely some niche content. Yes.
1: Well, let's talk about the millennials real briefly. So yeah. Actual Pew Research Center. Yes. Not fake Pew. Church Pew PU. Research right. Center. Um, did a study that I think is fantastic. And I just wrote a column about it. I filed it this week. Basically asking U.S. adults when should children be financially independent from their parents? What's the right age? And they find 64% of US adults say they believe children should be financially independent by the time they're 22. Like around the time that you would graduate from a four year institution, if you finished it in four years right after high school, like that's about the time that they consider you should be financially independent. The actual data shows that only 24% of people who are under the age of 22, adults under the age of 22, are actually able to be financially independent Mm. because their income is, and this is from economic data, they say, they consider financially independent to be if your income is 150% of the poverty line. Mm. And so in that case, they find uh, only 22%, or no, 24% um, of people who are in that age bracket. So 64% say, oh, you should be independent, but like the reality is very different. Then they ask people, do you believe parents are doing too much for their adult children? And most say... Yes. That Well, most say that they personally are doing the right amount. You have parents saying they do about the right amount for their adult children is 63%. They find that a majority of those parents say they are financially supporting their children in some way from age 18 to 29 that they're financially supporting them. But then when asked overall, do you think that, like, Parents are generally doing too much. Uh, a majority of adults, including sixty-four percent of those aged fifty and up, say parents these days are coddling their kids too much. Uh,
0: you hear that in focus groups all the time. Yes, constantly. This was
1: so. In my column, I started off with an anecdote from a lady who I'm, she, I'm sure she's lovely, but I often, when I give these speeches, there will be Q and A and like. You always know the like, I have, it's less of a comment or it's less of a question and more of a comment. You're like, all right, here we go. This person really is going to hate millennials and I'm about to like take the brunt of it. Right. And she's like, I just. You know, my son is approaching thirty, and he's still on his parents' cell phone plan. And I'm just wondering. You talked a lot about millennial values. When are millennials going to get you call my son? When are millennials going to get the values of self reliance and personal (laughs) responsibility and learn to take care of themselves?
0: That's on page thirty three, ma'am. And I like I take a pause
1: because I didn't want to have the flip response of like why don't you tell your son to pay for his own cell phone bill? Like I was like, don't say that. That's don't be flip. Maybe there's a reason why her son, you know, I don't, don't be condescending safety. But then I may have actually made it worse because my response was like, with all due respect, bam. And I don't mean this as like for you personally,
0: but when people talk, <laughs> all right,
1: already in trouble, but yes, when continue. people talk about why millennials are lacking in some value, I always say, well, someone raised us. Oh my God. <laughs> And the audience goes like, oh, like it's like a wrestling match. (laughs) (laughs) But it's real facts, though. It's real facts. It's real facts. Where were we supposed to get our values? From the television guys? From the TV? Yeah. From the MTV? (laughs) The kids these days all screwed up with their rock and roll and MTV? No. We were raised by someone. Namely, mostly the baby boomers. So I would just humbly suggest that if you have beef with millennials, should take a brief look in the mirror and also recognize that we came of age in an era where the economy was really bad. And so cut us a little slack and maybe just be a little more empathetic, but also recognizing your own role in the situation. I mean, that is my rant for the day. Thank so you.
0: I appreciate that. I don't know what side of all of this I'm on. I mean, I I hear your point, and also part of it is the distance they have from folks in that age group. So like they're just observing it through their own lens, not through the lens of when they were that age. Because you know everybody was young once and mm-hmm. wanted some dependence, right? And and I think sort of financial independence can mean all kinds of different things. It doesn't have to mean income level. It Doesn't have to mean like your parents are fully supporting you. Sometimes there's just some. If you're only kind making twenty
1: six thousand dollars. Gaps, you in know, DC. patchwork piece. Yeah. There,
0: there's all that. There was something today in the post about. Uh, some app that I'd never heard of called like Life 360. Did you see this? And apparently there's this like tracking app and students go to college and their parents are like, if you're going to college, you have to keep, it's like a Black Mirror episode. Like you have to keep Life 360 on and, and there are people, you have to read this story. It's <laughs> you have to, You're gonna have to like reopen your <laughs> column to add something, right? Because some people were like, I can't go on the record because I have a really troubled relationship with my parents because I won't, you know, I turn off the 360, Life 360 alerts and then they get mad at me and they send me a bunch of text message. I mean, like, these are adults, you know, they're oh, adults. Um, none of that, this none of this is poll related, but uh. it, was, it is related to this, which is what is independence uh. You know, is independence a state of mind? Is independence an income level? Is independence, you know, reliance or proximity to your parents? Is it seeing the world and moving away from home? I mean, it can mean, you know, is it not having the same beliefs as your parents? It's its all kinds of that things. app does
1: not sound like independence to me.
0: I feel like, oh, the, I mean, I feel like I did see a Black Mirror episode where, like, the mom has some app where she kind of, like, hides you can, like, blur out negative things from your kid as they're walking around. And then the kid grows up and, like, has never seen, like, anybody get in any dispute at all because... The, her mom said this experimental app or something. Is that a real thing or? That, anyway, it's I kind was of just like gonna that. Say the
1: app that the kids use these yeah. days that you've probably never heard of that I've only is Visco. Do you know what a Visco yes, girl is? Yes. Well, okay, never mind. I wasn't that cool. Yes. Don't look it up, Richard. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's like an Instagram thing. It's not. Yeah. It's fine. Don't worry. Don't freak out. It's okay.
0: Yes. The all kids right. are going to be all
1: right, but maybe not.
0: We're off script a little <laughs> bit, but. It's okay, because you know this is the kind of well we do. We, we, one, oh, we one, still have more millennials. We
1: have a, like just a little bit. Yeah, I, yeah. No, this is good. this is interesting. Interesting data. This is Bureau of Labor Statistics American Time Use Data. Yes, um, that was written up in the Washington Post. Right, um, and it is average hours per day millennials versus non millennials spend on certain household activities. So non millennials spend more time on total household activities. Things such as housework, food preparation, cleanup, a little bit more, but not like dramatically more. The biggest gap is on lawn and garden care. Millennials, gardening is fun, but we're also probably living in apartments that don't have big lawns. exactly. Or if you're a renter, you don't have the incentive to keep all that stuff up. But the biggest gap is when you look at leisure activities, millennials are not couch potatoes. Millennials, on average, per day, watch two hours of TV, while non-millennials watch three plus. And I assume that is heavily driven by an older audience that perhaps leaves the news on in their home during the day. And, you know, so that's more television to watch than, you know, the kids. Um, But things like reading for personal interest, slightly more for non-millennials versus millennials, while playing games and socializing and communicating are more likely to be. Like millennials do that a little um, more.
0: Didn't they nap less? do they nap less or nap more? There was some like napping thing finding that was uh, kind of relaxing
1: the thing. and thinking. Oh yes, that one non-millennials do it more. <laughs> Lord lying. knows I We're don't lying. do either of those things We're nearly <laughs> enough.
0: Strategic planning. Non-millennials do more strategic planning. <laughs> um corporate retreats all right sorry go ahead (laughs) but they do
1: they do do more socializing and communicating however most political tweets i believe i read this correctly come from older users of twitter that like older political twitter is not necessarily old but like a disproportionate percentage of political tweets come from older Hmm. political twitter so, maybe that's something we can add into the time use survey, like angry tweeting about politics. <laughs> angry tweets. <laughs> angry tweets. So, what, what's this new data about? Only 13% of tweets from US adults are about national politics, 87% of tweets are about other things. I mean, this
0: is like the 80 20 rule, basically, but as political Twitter. Yeah.
1: And then 97% of that 13% of tweets came from 10% of users. So, a very small portion. Political Twitter produces like all the everything, nonsense. right? Everything. So
0: political Twitter is a small part of Twitter, and politi- like, and the most political Twitter just comes from just political Twitter and not anybody else. Yes, and so they're looking at Twitter, and you're like, "Hey, people on Twitter are saying blank." You're just looking at this other.
1: Yeah, you're looking at a... At, of users. Yes, basically. because the other 90% are essentially doing what Pierre D'Electo did. <laughs> oh, I had, you knew you weren't going to get through this show without Pierre
0: or D'Electo. Or they're just like, you know, following Justin Bieber or whatever, you know, or just like n- tweeting about, you know, how the someone at Starbucks misspelled their name on the cup or whatever, you know? Isn't that what the rest of... I don't know. What's the rest of Twitter like?
1: Uh, every so often I uncover what the rest of Twitter is like when I go looking for like... A football score or something. (laughs) It's out there. Um, it's out there. I do have to say I was being followed by Pierre Delecto. Oh. I feel I felt so proud. I was like, guys, guys, can I put this in my bio? So good. So excited. That's (laughs) so so good. But then it made me nervous because I tweet dumb stuff, like pictures of the scorpion in my house. And I'm like, oh my God, Mitt freaking Romney is reading my scorpion tweets. This is why you should just never tweet, guys. Just don't tweet, ever. Sure. <laughs> I have a feeling he appreciates
0: your, you know, G-rated humor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have a feeling Taz has A-okay. I have, a, I have a Romney-esque. I'm
0: sure he has, like, a good old chuckle. Funny bone.
1: You know? <laughs> God, that's, like, the nicest thing you could say about me, that I am a Romney-esque funny bone. Oh, boy. All right.
0: I don't know what we learned. Uh,
1: I... Well, I, I uh, we still serious? need to take a quick Wait, break. Oh, we still have more. Oh, yeah. Oh, we still have
0: plenty okay. more show. So we we'll
2: take able... a quick break. <laughs> we'll okay. be right back. Okay. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today.
1: Okay, we've gotten the train back on the tracks. Yes. Uh, The last thing we're going to talk about very briefly is this past week... Making Headlines Across the Pond uh, was a documentary that came out about the South Africa... Well, both Harry and Meghan went to South Africa. Harry then went on to Angola. Um, he went to a couple different countries. And they brought a documentary filmmaker with them from ITV, which is a channel in the UK. And did like an hour-long special on there. Not to
0: be confused with ATN.
1: <laughs> Not to be confused with ATN. Are you all caught up on Success? I am
0: like... S- uh, season two, episode three or four, four. Yes, they've gone on the retreat. They've gone on the retreat.
1: Um, They're I, back from the
0: retreat. That's where I am. This
1: is not a paid plug. This is just me offering some like. Fu- so I told you last week. The f- did I tell you the fold? Like that's a com- like a dress company yes. that aggressively no, advertises You didn't, you but school. I. I so, I've already served the plenty fold, of the fold. thumbs up, and then. Sui Studio, which is Lady Suit Supply. Mm. They make this pair of pants that Shiv is wearing. It's like when she's wearing the paper bag waist uh, pants that are like houndstooth. I definitely bought them and they are in my car right now. I can't wait to get home and try them on. Yeah,
0: I I have mixed feelings about the folds. It's a little too conservative for me, but it's made well. I returned everything I got from them. So that's
1: my... Thing in see, it in too show. conservative is like I'm like yes
0: <laughs> but it, you can't I, see my knees I appreciate Yay! it I appreciate it I was like I just think I'm not the right exactly quite right for this like, I need a little bit more New Jersey in this it's not enough New Jersey
1: well so to get back from fashion to yes. this story uh We're I love so to close, take, I love to take fashion cues from the Duchess of Cambridge and yes. the Duchess of Sussex yes but the Duchess of Sussex has it it has it was a kind of a rough summer for Meghan and Harry they had some tough headlines about taking some private jets and Harry and Meghan at the end of their uh tour launched some lawsuits against the british media for the publication of a letter she had written to her father that her some of her friends spoke about to people magazine so her father released the whole letter to the day, the mail on sunday which is a a paper – they are now suing the paper because they say Meghan had the copyright to the letter. As the author of the letter, they had no right to publish it. It's a whole thing. Um, In the documentary, some very emotional moments where Harry talks very candidly about feeling like the wound of – the grief he feels over his mother's death is sort of brought back every time he sees a camera flash. Um, And Meghan sort of talking about the difficulties of being a new mom under the microscope of being in the royal family. I think a fantastic podcast on all of this are the ladies over at The Ringer Dish, Juliet Littman and Amanda Dobbins, I think, have this story covered well and in detail. So I will digress. Um, did you watch any of the clips? No, I didn't watch. I just
0: saw that she said nobody's asked me if I'm OK. Uh, that made me like I felt kind of s- sad for her as like. You know, it's hard to be a new mom. Wherever you are in your mm-hmm. new mom journey, is not so easy. You know, even like whatever it is. Obviously, some new moms she, she have it a little bit harder.
1: and Serena, and say, "Hey, BFFs.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I need,
1: mean, I need someone to talk to. Yeah, I mean, she probably
0: does not have it as hard as lots of other new moms around the world. And nonetheless, I it I seemed felt to strike that, a chord yes, with many people. It did, but I did not even know what any of this other press was. So, oh. but I was surprised <laughs> to see. That YouGov asked this question. Yeah, they asked about Brexit, but we're cloning because it's the end of the show, their poll about which uh, royal gets the worst treatment from the British press. And she is the winner slash loser with
1: 39 percent say she is treated least favorably yes. by the media and. Um, Coming in second would be Camilla, Duchess of Cornwall, yeah. at 8%. I think, I think I feel things she, have gotten much better yes, for Yes, you know, she put in some time. Decades now have passed. and Yeah, I think people think, okay, you know. I mean, she's going to be the queen consorts, you know, at some point, most likely. And, you know, I think. She toughed it out,
0: yeah. Um, 20% say none of them are treated unfavorably by the press. Why
1: would you ask me such a question?
0: <laughs> How dare you? Coming in at
1: 0%. <laughs> the real, real winner, I think. Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge, because she had it very rough. Yeah. I mean, people forget this now, but like, you know, the tabloids were so nasty yeah. to her at first. weighty Katie, because she was, you know, dating and was engaged, you know, for a long time was dating William before they got engaged. So the tabloids were vicious to her and she just sort of like put her head down and the what is it? Never complain, never explain the like royal family, cre- you know, just put her head down, did her job, hit her marks. And now she's like uh, many years in and. Like, she's the most popular member of that family, and the media loves her. So there's a recipe for success there. Yes. And I love her clothes, too. Yeah. I just think she's great. They did – she and William did a whole tour to Pakistan uh, last week, and it was a delight. I highly encourage checking it out. Like, they visited some amazing places and, like – Highlighted some incredible stuff. They went to a glacier that's been receding because of climate change. Mm. Um, to so, like shine a light. I mean, it's it was it was a very successful. You have to tour. watch the
0: Windsors. I know every show recommendation I give you is like increasingly more like raunchy after, that no, you're going to be like after the bodyguard
1: <laughs> You it's, yeah,
0: but it's all good. Okay, well, so <laughs> you you have to watch the Windsors. Is <laughs> I don't know. It's very. We get through season two of The Crown first. No, it's nothing like The Crown. The I'm, Crown. I'm sure I you've explained to what, me that it is nothing like The Crown. Nothing like The Crown. <laughs> it is literally the opposite of The Crown. Okay, it's like a tabloid, you know, acted out by actors. <laughs> Delightful. It's incredible. Um, I don't know what we've learned. I guess I've learned some things about the royal family just now. That was helpful. Um, and. I think overall we should not expect big movements in either the primary or Trump's approval rating. But yet there is a little bit of a weakening in his approval rating. So we'll see if that continues, given the fact that numbers seem to be increasing in terms of support for impeachment. I don't know if that's a big takeaway. What do we learn about millennials? There's some definitely interesting stuff about millennials. They need support. We they need stuff. They had they had it rough.
1: Has anyone asked if we're okay? <laughs> That's what millennials yes, are saying. Everybody, <laughs> nobody's asked if we're okay. <laughs> you can I mean, find us on Twitter at, at the Polsters individually and at Margie O'Meara and at Kael Just Anderson on Facebook or at www. dot com. Thanks. Bye.